Some people want you to listen to the same old podcast over and over. Friends don't let friends listen to only one podcast. A real friend would tell you, Hey friend, you should check out Guard Frequency. You know, pal, they cover the upcoming space sim Star Citizen. It's being developed by Chris Roberts, buddy, the man behind Wing Commander and Freelancer. That's what a real friend would say, guy. It's over at GuardFrequency.com. It's a great show. You should check it out. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 161 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, February 13th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by subscribing to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm James. And I'm Tony. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. So what do we got in store this week, Tony? This week we are bringing back Trek It Out in a big way with some black hole truth delivered by our resident astrophysicist and Priority One podcast science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. Then we'll get you current on the latest Stowe news, including the loadouts feature that has finally hit holodeck. And of course, as always, we'll open up hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains. We want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We've got some new mobile equipment we'd really like to purchase to help improve the audio quality of our on-site recording at conventions or other events. But, as you've heard us say before, we're all volunteers, and we could use your help to get that equipment, so please... Head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and see how you can help. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you come to enjoy and expect from Priority One Podcast. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In her recent in-development... Elle gives some advice about reporting for duty and dressing for success when you enlist for service at your next convention or party. Truck out our blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. That'll do it for the intro. Let's get ready to Trek It Out. Jump places. I don't know. Then let's Trek It Out. This week we have something a little different in store for you and Trek It Out. Longtime friend of the show, Star Trek and Star Trek Online aficionado, and the visualization scientist for NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope Project, Dr. Robert Hurt, has agreed to join Priority One Productions as our permanent science advisor. Well, it's great to be joining you guys on a much more regular basis. Uh, took an awful lot of arm twisting to get me to come on and talk science, because 
everyone who knows me knows how much I hate talking science with people. Yeah, boy, it's not like we you know haven't had great conversations with you in the past two or three times. So yeah, we are looking forward to being joined by Doctor Hurt from time to time to dig a little deeper into some of the science and science fiction that inspires us all so very very much. So Doc, thanks for joining us. And if I understand correctly, you've located a particularly interesting article for us to dive into. Something about the destruction of uh, Vulcan or Romulus or something, as uh, as as the case maybe indeed this is the case um uh, in fact when we talked about doing this uh regular spot i had just run across an article that uh was an interesting examination of what would happen if you were to drop a black hole into the center of the earth now of course in star trek we've never seen anything like this happen to any planet that or is in that franchise, Vulcan. It was an interesting article. It seemed apropos, and it was actually nice to see someone sit down and try to think through the process of what's going on, because black holes are one of the most fascinating things that are also the most misunderstood things in science. Uh, I would, In fact, I would pose a question to you. What would happen, do you think, if we were able to basically do some science mumbo-jumbo thing and turn the sun into a black hole. I mean, just just basically take everything at the, the sun and just crush it down so it became a black hole. What do you think would happen to us then? After eight minutes, we would realize there's no sun. It would suddenly start to get very cold. Uh, all plant life on Earth would be dead in what? They think a week or two, a couple weeks, maybe something like that. Something like Good. that. Okay, yeah. you've got you've got the uh, the optics down, but the question is, what's going to happen to the Earth and its orbit and everything if there's suddenly a black hole instead of a sun? That's true, because gravity would change, wouldn't it? Thank you for walking into my trap. Gravity from a black hole works identically, whether it comes from a star or a black hole or a planet or an asteroid. All you care about is how much mass is there in total, and even if you were to take the whole sun and crush it into a black hole. It's, it, in the media and, and kind of in the pop, popular view of black holes, there's this idea that if it becomes a black hole, suddenly it's like this giant Dyson vacuum cleaner that would just suddenly suck everything into it, and it would just go all, like, poof. And that's it, really not what's happening, right? Uh, gravity is gravity, so things respond to gravity. Earth would keep going around. But a particularly interesting question then becomes, what happens if you take a black hole, say the same mass as the Earth, and you were to drop it right down into the center of the Earth, would it, in fact, act like a giant Dyson vacuum cleaner and just suck it up like we kind of saw happen in some movie that shall remain nameless? The answer turns out to be a lot weirder and a lot more interesting, because in order to take the mass of the Earth and, and, and make it all like suck up, the thing you have to take into account is how big that black hole is. If you take the entire Earth and you crush it into a black hole, you only get something about the size of a dime, okay? All the mass, the size of a dime, and that is a really tiny hole to be cramming all of the mass of the Earth through, right? If you're going to get the mass of the Earth into that hole, you're going to have to crush it down a lot. The thing is, as you start crushing that material down to cram it into such a tiny hole, then the pressure increases, the temperature increases, you release this tremendous amount of gravitational energy in the process. And that energy release will affect everything that's trying to fall down on top of it. It it actually will heat up the material that's trying to drop down, vaporizing it, and effectively exploding it back out. When you look at at what happens around uh, some of the most energetic things that we can observe in the entire universe, uh, quasars and active galaxies, you find that a tr- 
like like as much energy as the whole galaxy generates through stars and everything else can actually be generated by just the area around a black hole as material is trying to fall into it. Now these are supermassive black holes, like you know millions of times the mass of the sun, but they generate a glow that actually can dominate the total energy output of that galaxy. That's coming because you're taking a lot of material and over a huge area and you're trying to crush it down into a tiny little area. And it turns out the same thing would happen to the Earth. And that happens along the edge at the event horizon? or Yeah, as, as things are crushing down to the point where they would pass the event horizon, you have to increase the density and the pressure. And when you do that, you, you increase the temperature. You start producing X-rays and gamma rays. And all that energy that's released in terms of photons has to work its way back out through the material. It heats up everything else. So... When you actually looked at, uh, when, when this uh, uh, physicist actually in, uh, in, in Quora had answered a question that, that Slate picked up where I found the article, I guess we'll link in the show notes, uh, kind of went through the process, you realize that so much of the mass that is falling into this black hole, energy will be released to a significant fraction of its kind of equivalent E equals MC squared energy. And that much energy is enough to literally blow off the outer layers of the Earth in, in a tremendous explosion. And what's left behind, what the stuff that will remain and fall in, will actually, because Earth is spinning, has a little bit of rotation, uh, the stuff that doesn't get blown out, out into space and is still around will actually kind of spin up into what we call an accretion disk, you know, a disk of material that's in orbit around this tiny little, like, you know, coin-sized black hole. And slowly as, as you know the internal frictions of that heat it up and slow it down then material will keep kind of falling in and feeding the black hole until it's all gone but uh you know it, the the effect is you don't get a, a whimper of a, a vacuum cleaner suction into nothing you actually get a bang you get a tremendous explosion that blows it all out oh man that would have been a much cooler thing to see <laughs> well i think we did that was in um Man of Steel. That's kind of what happened to Krypton. So Superman got the physics right, Star Trek got it wrong? They they did do a, uh, a very good visualization of what it might look like if a black hole were dropped into the center of Krypton. That is good stuff right there. So, I mean, you know, I'm not that space trek, as I referred, lovingly refer to the J.J. movies, uh, you know, didn't didn't quite get all the details right. But is there is there anything else that we can take away from the uh, destruction of Vulcan? Uh, from a scientific perspective, is the Vulcan black hole going to stay there and continue orbiting Vulcan's sun? Yep. Uh, is it going to eventually suck up the sun? No, it'll just stay there. They'll just be a nice little uh, navigation hazard orbiting the the, the star, and uh, you won't want to get too close to it, or <laughs> you might fall into the accretion disk and become part of the problem. All right, well, that was fascinating. So thank you again for joining us, Dr. Hurt. Uh, any ideas on what you want to talk about next time? I think we'll just have to see what the universe offers up. Thank you, Dr. Hurt, visualization scientist for the Spitzer Space Telescope Project. You can keep up with the adventures of Dr. Robert Hurt by visiting the AstroPix Archive website, and we'll have the link in our show notes. Thanks a lot, Doctor. My pleasure. Thanks for stopping by, Doc. Well, guys, let's check out what happened in Stone News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. In Season 8 of Log 49, Stow ship artist Ian Jam Jams Richards teases players about the new ship materials coming in the future to Star Trek Online. In the hopes of adding more customization options for ships, new materials will be available 
not just for Federation ships, but several Klingon ships will have new materials as well. As of this recording, the skins are apparently not live yet. I reclaimed my Togsdugsh fighter uh, on my Klingon, and no Type 3 appeared. Sad panda. But uh, this begs the question here. Oh no, are they running out of things for Ian to do? Are they not making new ships? Uh-oh, he's working on skins now. Where's our new ships? I think what's going on is they're going to slow down on new ships. We've gotten a lot of ships really fast, I think, and you know we're getting a lot of content and stuff, and I think what they want to do is slow down and give players the time to enjoy what we've got. But I don't think this is a sign that they're out of ideas. I think they're far from that. I think this is just, hey, why don't you slow your jets a little? We've got that stuff coming up. you got a little time. Why don't you fine-tune some of the old ones and you know, touch them up, clean them up, Everybody wants this model touch, and there's always this on the back of the Voyager, and this on, on the Sovereign, and everyone's always got their little beef about stickers and lights and whatever. Um, you know, you may be right, but I have to say that uh, they're giving these away for free, which I'm not complaining about. Right. But uh, it does strike me as a bit odd that, that this is happening. And, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit with, um, you know, uh, the new executive producer taking the helm, and you say he's a very technical guy, you know. And, and you guys got to talk to him. I didn't, uh, which which is very sad. But, you know, he's... Sad panda for you, yeah. Exactly. He's really into the whole, like you said, the mechanics of the game. And part of that mechanics and things that make this game so wonderful is the lavish amount of customization. And so this may just be another level of that that he wants to bring to the uh, the players, you know. He may just said, you know, why don't we give him just a little bit more? Why don't we give him some new skins? Why don't we just give him a little treat? You know, something a little more to change stuff up. So why don't we talk about that free shuttle that you get with the ARC download. So, Captains, Perfect World has been working hard to appease players into testing this new ARC launcher. So, first we saw the continuity and sing uniform. Now... They're offering up a Ferengi Nafar shuttle and 20 Lobi crystals. I'm not big on the shuttle. I don't like Ferengi in the first place, but it does come with a really cool metaphasic shield console, which might be worth taking off there. And of course, 20 Lobi crystals are always nice to have. And and I'll, I'll admit, I did download Arc just to go in and get the Lobi and, oh, and the shuttle. And then, but, 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 erased it right afterwards. They didn't make it easy. So I go in, I get it, right? I log in, I grab my stuff, and I'm like, cool, okay, go to control panel, un- uninstall. Uh, you can't uninstall it's in use. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Control, delete, task manager. No, it's not. Um, erase. No, you can't do it. It's in use. Hmm. Okay, let's go into processes and hunt a little deeper. Oh, there it is, still running processes in the background. Hmm. But the average computer user who may not know that much about the computer might just be like, I can't erase it. Well, captains, we'll turn this over to you with our first community questions. Have these incentives driven you to desperation? Have you gone and installed that pesky, pesky ARC client to get the goodies? Are you holding out for something better? Maybe a free sea store ship? Let us know in our show post on the Star Trek Online forums or beneath our show notes on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, and we're missing Elijah this week because uh, apparently he's been infected with Borg nanoprobes. We didn't ask how or where he caught them. Uh, we just didn't want to know. Um, but he did send us an editorial that uh, uh, to read, and it had some interesting uh, impacts on some stuff we've been discussing recently. In a blog post on Gamma Sutra, Adam Kramerzewski of Square Enix Europe discusses the dangers of player familiarity within a game. In Star Trek Online, you've probably mastered something, whether it's a Borg STF, 
the Dyson ground crafting something. You become an expert at it. There's something in STO that you know like the back of your hand. For some players, they've mastered it all, and a sense of surprise no longer really exists. Now, there's a lot in STO that can keep players occupied, but if you've faced one space boss, you've kind of faced them all. For instance, Kramerzewski writes, If the first boss fight teaches you a technique, mastering it will be satisfying. But if you use the same exact technique in all boss fights that follow, the satisfaction will fade. This can easily translate to Borg STFs or the Crystalline Catastrophe or any other of the end-game content currently available in Star Trek Online. How can these missions be improved, or what new missions could be introduced that would ensure variety? He uh, goes on to say, the author of the column goes on to say, If your game does not hold some aces up its sleeve, it may end up being viewed as repetitive and boring. Players will feel that they've seen all there is to see, even if the game is not finished. Now, don't get us wrong here at Priority One. STO often pulls out something right out of left field, whether it's a quality of life improvement or missions like The Vault or a game environment like The Breach or Space Adventure Zones. They're constantly improving and changing the game. But once you've seen the new thing, you don't need to go back and see it again. So, James, what do you want? What do you want them to do to keep it fresher, longer? The Tupperware system, as we discussed with uh, uh, Steve and D'Angelo when he was on. Fresher, longer, and the occasional surprise. What would you do? That's a tough one, because there's a lot of roads you can take with the game to do that. What's the mission that you just log in and can play with your eyes closed? Infected. Infected. Now, infected Space Elite, right? That's your go-to. That's everybody's go-to. It's your bread and butter. So what would be cool for them to change? That would make you go, oh, no, this is new and awesome. Okay, okay. So you got a big gate there, right? Instead of destroying the gate, start with destroying the, the tactical cube that shows up. And when you do, it makes the gate malfunction and pull everyone through the gate and drops you into some crazy Borg area where you have to fight your way back out. Okay, so add a second map to the mission and, and have it and be a surprise. Like sometimes when you take the infected elite... All right, so, so would you have it be that the normal mission is the one that you're always running and then maybe the elite one has a chance of that uh, crazy derivative mission firing? That would be pretty awesome. I would like that, sure. Hey, well, Skiffy, you're chiming in. What do you think? What, what would be your, what would be your uh, surprise that you would like to have uh, fire off every once in a while? Well, I, I don't know that I have a great idea right now, but uh, commenting on Infected Space Elite, I mean, I think the reason that's everybody's bread and butter is because it's so easy. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a team together and it's like, oh yeah, we need Borg uh, neural processors and we need uh, Omega Marks, but we don't want to run any of the STFs. We want to run the easiest one, which is Infected Space Elite. I don't know that it's easy. I think that what's happened is the tactics are now very well known, so it's predictable. Because I've gone in there, I've gone in there a few times with some pugs that didn't know what they were doing and screwed it all up blew up you know blew up the generators too early you get flooded by spheres i've even had teams that have lost a couple times because they just can't handle it so as long as you have a group that knows the rules how it plays out and knows the tactics or or just has overwhelming dps that they can just overcome all that um i think that's the case it's not necessarily that it's easy it's just so well-known and predictable. Uh, exactly. I'm going to go with James on this one. Here's the best part about the predictability. There's not a failure condition. In Cure and in Kittimer, you can fail, and all your time investment is for naught. That's the key thing about Infected Space Elite. If you have a surprise fire-off every once in a while, 
as long as there's no failure condition attached to it, just like the infected as it is right now, people will still play it, and I think will still love it. So Skiffy, you're right. That's why people just want to know. I just need some dilithium, and I just need some marks. I'm just going to jump into Infected Space Elite. It's because you can't fail it. As long as you keep at it and grind it down and grind that tactical cube down to dust eventually, you'll still get something even if you don't get the optional. And that, I think, is, is the key thing there. You can give people a surprise, but don't, have, don't equate surprise with potential failure. I think that's the key, the key thing. Well, Captains, that's our second community question. How do you want to be surprised in STO and kept on your toes? For instance, exploration missions are going to be developed further. How would you like to experience them? What unanticipated variables could be added to something like an STF? Let us know your ideas in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Let's talk about the uh, Escapist Magazine interview with Salami Inferno. In a recent article from the Escapist Magazine, writer Paul Goodman had the opportunity to sit down and chat about Star Trek Online with lead producer Stephen Ricosa, also known as Salami Inferno. A lot of the article recaps the last four years of Star Trek Online, including the successful acquisition of Cryptic by Perfect World Entertainment and, in turn, the ongoing growth of Star Trek Online, which we have, of course, covered on the show a million times. According to Ricosa in the article, <laughs> each year has been bigger and better than the last, which I agree with, um, with players staying in game longer and attending more and more events. When push comes to shove, it's a very promotional article, and we encourage you to check it out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. It covers a lot of topics that we have discussed here on Priority One, not only amongst ourselves, but with our uh, special interviews and with the devs. And finally, we come to the moment we've all been waiting for, the patch notes, which include loadouts, my friends, loadouts. You get two free, but you get additional ones. You can buy a package of 10 in the C-Store for 500 zen. Those 10 loadouts can uh, be put on any ship uh, that you like, up to the maximum of 32 per ship. Um, And you can use them in any order. Uh, And then if you want them back, you just discharge the ship you've attached the loadouts to, and they go back into your pool. So, pretty flexible design there. Loadouts include all of your ship's current equipment, bridge officer station, power tray setup, and active duty officers. This is the thing that I've been waiting for because I've never I've never really managed my active duty roster very a- actively at all, really. More of a passive duty officer guy, me. Um, enabling a saved loadout will draw equipment from your inventory, other ships, or a personal bank, but not items in your account bank or fleet bank. While you can draw gear from lots of places, the system will only deposit gear in your personal inventory, so keep your locker cleaned out, folks. Uh, Limited space there. There's also a 60-second cooldown between switching loadouts, but that can be done in any instance type when you're not in combat. So uh, you can theoretically just uh, fly around uh, and then swap your loadout uh, in the middle of an STF to try uh, different tactics as the uh, the, uh, mission goes on. With loadouts coming out, we need the ability to buy more inventory slots. Well, that's a good suggestion, and with all their database cleanup they've been doing, they, I would presumably be just pleased as punch, Skiffy, to sell you um, additional space to keep the stuff that they continue to sell you, I would think. There are a few known issues here. Um, there is no error explaining that loadouts and quick equip will not work if the captain's inventory is full, so keep a, keep some clear spots there. Dismissed duty officers, which are saved in a loadout, will be replaced by a random duty officer in your inventory. Presumably they're going to 
in, include some database logic or something that'll slot an appropriate officer in there. And powers granted by a space set are not remembered in the power tray when using the loadouts feature. And I tested this, and yeah, it's still it's a, the kind of a kind of an annoying bug, especially if you have a, a space set that you like to use. I like to use the Mako with the heavy graviton beam, um, and that disappears if you swap your loadouts. Um, generally speaking, there are a few general things. We have the Reclaim tab now in the Delithium store. This is the prototype of the Skiffy maneuver that we talked about with uh, Steven D'Angelo. Uh, there will be a Special Items and Boxes tab in the Delithium store, and captains can now reclaim for the bargain price of zero Delithium any unique weapons, items, and consoles on lockbox or lobby ships or special event ships like the Breen Raider, Breen Warship, the Corvette, or the Dyson ships. Uh, these are not new items and cannot be obtained without owning the associated ship. The items will not be visible in the store unless the captain owns the ship and the item is not in your personal inventory. If you have multiple ships like the Breen's um, and you need to reclaim the energy dissipator thing, console, dealy whopper, um, if you have it equipped on a ship in your inventory right now, you can claim one additional one. Uh, for your inventory, but once you have that in your personal inventory, you can't kit anymore. Uh, captains can now load valid and saved costume types into any of their additional costume slots, including off-duty, formal, and uniform costumes, but you can only put uniforms in the first costume slot. And we've got a couple of fixes coming in on the Step Between Stars. Uh, the cover shield bug will no longer break the mission if you uh, cover shield the Dyson captain who's supposed to get assassinated. Oh, spoiler alert. Um, and we, they've also increased the shield damage over time from the destabilizing Tetrion ground and space weapon procs. Skiffy, we're going to need a rematch. Uh, we can, but the wall's still on my side. <laughs> and so, with that, why don't we head on over to feedback? Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And our community question from episode 160. Small fleets have always voiced their opinions on the difficulties they experienced reaching tier 5. We've asked this question before, but now that we don't have the convenience of the hourly fleet mark bonus, how will you manage fleet advancement? Thomas Townley starts with, To tell you the truth, the hourlies never really figured into how I advanced my tiny, tiny fleet. Remembering how I got to tier 1 of the dilithium mine by myself? Oof. You just have to put your nose to the grindstone, heavy on the grind, and work your boss off. But show. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing, though, is that the tier one of everything is a relatively shallow curve. It's not too tough to solo a tier one starbase. I soloed a tier one starbase once upon a time. Um, and with, like, a part-time character, I didn't play him too much. It's not terribly hard to get those first ones. But once you get to Tier 4 and Tier 5, small fleets just really can't hack it on a reasonable timeline. Did you solo it, or did you Han solo it? Oh, I Han soloed it, baby. I shot first and didn't look back. And Sean Newboy writes in, Excellent show, guys. P.S. Yes, I want the aficionados ringtone as well. 
Just listen to the. Just get the last week's show and just listen to the blooper reel. Just that's all you got to do. Woody Valley writes in with, "I have to agree about needing to take a break from building fleet projects and get back to something story based. I noticed that fleet members disappear when there's nothing on except to work on the fleet projects, only to have a handful stay around. But when a new season launch comes along, especially with a new featured episode or story based content, they seem to come back in." Rose to check it out and get really busy for a couple of days only to disappear again once it's finished. I think that's any content, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But just imagine, just imagine if, if Cryptic could find a way to continuously generate and highlight and find and, 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 and discover new Star Trek stories every single day. If only there was a tool, founding tool found, that you could find and, and, and things that are found, found, foundried, something. I don't know. Uh, I, it's a conundrum. It's, it's a conundrum. You can never tell. I don't know. The Grand Negus uh, writes into us. Uh, then he says, hey, guys, enjoyed the show. About the event changes, the motivation wasn't to make it easier or even more fun for players. The motivation was to get as many people as possible to log in on each weekend. They figured by making the events more scarce, people will be more likely or desperate, if you are a small fleet, to want to play all weekend during each event. Is this the right thing to do from a fun gameplay perspective? Eh, not really. But the business logic definitely makes sense, and at the end of the day, that's what Stowe is. Yeah, pretty much. Decker73 says, hey guys, great show. As the leader of a tiny fleet, three contributing members, and with multiple characters each, I actually find that the bottleneck for advancing the fleet system is dilithium not fleet marks. I rely heavily on DOF systems, accommodation reports and have found that with enough topped out doffing characters it can actually supply all the fleet mark needs for my tiny fleet. As I like to say, the DOF system giveth, the fleet system taketh away. So far, our tiny fleet has a tier 3 starbase, a tier 2 embassy, and dilithium mine, and tier 1 spire. Yeah, and that kind of just illustrates the point. You know, he's got a tier 3 starbase because that's about as high as you can get with a small fleet easily. But those fleet holdings aren't so bad, especially at the lower tiers. You can you can solo those lower tier um, fleet holding ones. But again, once you hit the tier 3 level of the fleet holdings, it's the same as the tier four and tier five star bases, the, the, the curve just shoots vertical. And there's just, yeah, just such a grind. And Skiffy, we were talking before the, sto- the show started about your use of the DOF system on your tiny, tiny fleet. Yeah, uh, so I actually have uh, 26 tunes, uh, a majority of which are not used for, for actually playing stow, but rather just for doffing. And I can use the uh, duty officer accommodation XP to fleet mark turn-ins. That provides uh, just about everything you need. Guess what? Uh, it's just got a big red target put on its back. Oh, yeah, maybe. I bet that's on the drawing board uh, for the DOF system revamp to sort of um, redefine those rewards. I think it's fine. I, I think they should just leave it in place. I think they should, too, because that's what I do. <laughs> I do it, too. I think there's more people like me and less people harvesting like you, so I don't think that they... I don't think they're going to mess with it because I don't think it's going to be seen as that big of a, a, a siphon for them. I would like to believe you, and I hope that's true, but I just look at the other ways that the Starbase economy is not right. You know, the humongous piles of fleet credits that pile up in small fleets that don't have access to the high-tier equipment to spend the fleet marks on, or fleet credits on, and then the large fleets that have trouble even earning fleet credits because the projects get dried up so fast because everybody contributes as soon as one opens up. 
Well, as Decker was saying, uh, the Doff system giveth, the fleet system, system taketh away. That's actually a good thing. That's a that's a sink. You know, it's it's a, it's a it's a sink for those extra Doff points. I hope they keep it, but with their track record of not being good with fleet starbase sinks uh, for the economic imbalances, I, I I hope they keep this one running. But Santa Skyrat writes in and says, while the Q event has its problems, once picked up, you got twenty hours to kill. Come back to it later. I farmed it with 16 tunes. How many thousand bonus XP points do I have now? 9,000. And I plan to do it still every day for the rewards till it ends. Yeah, I'll probably do the same just to have the extra accumulations. I'll probably keep going till it ends just so that I can have them stockpiled for the next time something like this comes around so I can get the ship quicker. Yeah, as, as long as they keep the currency, no problem. I mean, if you want to grind it and you know do it, hey, have at it, pal. I just hate that. I just can't stand the Q thing. I just can't stand the party popper guy. Rob DMC writes, Personally, I prefer the weekend bonus dilithium over the hourly mark event. At the end of the day, I think what would be most ideal is split the mark event and make it a separate fleet mark event and leave it hourly and the rest of the marks as a weekend event. If you want cheeks in seats, you need to have something during the week. Even restaurants have their best deals on Tuesday or Wednesday in the middle week since that's the low point for sales. I agree. I think they ought to break that up. They need they need to, you know, maybe maybe they do the fleet mark uh, during the week and then the reputation mark on the weekend and then they flop it the next week. The reputation mark during the week and the bonus. You know when I see brand new movies? On Tuesdays. Because that's when my theater runs brand new movies for five bucks. A little free advice here, Cryptic. Below Par writes in and says, My problem isn't the amount of marks I can get. Because I collect about a thousand fleet marks a week easily. My problem is that on the projects, I can't turn them in because my other fleet mates beat me to it. Yeah, we have that problem in our fleet being a big fleet. But at the same time, no one wants to buy the DOFs to complete the project. And I can't help because I'm not able to turn in those marks that I get from fleet credits to buy the officers needed. It's so true. That is a very, very real problem in our fleet that everybody can contribute everything until it's DOFs that nobody has the EC to buy. But everyone's got fleet marks to turn in, everyone's got dilithium to spend, everyone's got the commodities, everyone's got everything except those dang doffs. There's just roadblocks that get put up, and because there's not a good way to move fleet credits around, um, you know, fleets that have excess fleet credits, fleets that have excess commodities and dilithium and stuff, there's no way to effectively trade them. They've got to do something. They have got to do something. The, the, the imbalances are just ridiculous. In the uh, a trading post of some kind, some kind of exchange for fleet marks, uh, run a project at your star base to send an aid package. We also uh, get an email from uh, our incoming at Priority One podcast address. We hear from Temp. He says, My idea does away with player ships actually exploding, except on rare occasions. Instead, the ship becomes disabled, all systems go offline, and the ship becomes untargetable. Yeah, then a minigame opens up, while the ship floats powerless in space. This represents your crew trying to get the systems back online. The crew count starts at 0%, and the aim is to get to 100%, which is a fully capable ship, within the allotted time. Crew recovery consoles give you a bonus to recovery rate, and also start you off at a given percentage, like 25% maybe. As the minigame gradually goes up towards 100, one by one systems come online throughout the ship. Weapons, shields, engines, auxiliary power, and also ship-specific powers and or skills would also come online. But then nothing would be available until the minigame is over. The minigame should be hard enough or short enough so as to be only rare occasions when a ship has full systems back online once the minigame ends without any help from consoles. And that would be fun. It would be a real death penalty. 
the death penalty then would also be almost skill dependent too. If you got you know change the game a little bit, you know if you maybe you just you just have to get your ship back up to one hundred percent. If you sit there and do nothing, it will take forty five seconds. But if you play the mini game and uh, have the right kind of consoles equipped, maybe you can get it down to well as low as you can do it. You know as fat maybe maybe you're reset time is five seconds because you have the right consoles equipped and you're good at the mini game, the repair mini game. Uh, we also hear from Facebook. Michael Foster wrote in and said, I just listened to episode 159 and the subject of the social areas caught my attention. I think something like velocity matches or the old phaser range from TNG could be interesting to add. Might be a way to add in a social reputation into it like you guys were talking about. Well, we hope so. Uh, they, they've got to do something uh, more social. They've got to make it, in a, make it a, a pleasure to visit Earth Space Dock and Kronos and uh, the Romulan Command Center. Make it fun to go there and to do fun things and to earn cool stuff. Every week we get new followers and uh, new likes on Facebook, and probably most of them were not digitally coerced to do so in the hope of getting a follow back or a like back. Thanks to everyone who jumped on the Priority One's social media train, and be sure to retweet and favorite our tweets. Well, that wraps up episode 161 of Priority One Podcast not recorded live on trekradio.net because of our missing leader, Mr. Elijah Jamre, and also due to technical difficulties. Remember, normally we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting around 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, and you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show, or submit your responses to our community questions in the comments section for this episode on the Stowe Forum post for this episode. Or now, call us and leave a message. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and use our SpeakPipe widget, or give us a call at 609-619-0834. If neither of those work, shoot us an email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com with a short mp3 recording stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites head over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast and give us a like or check us out on twitter via at stow priority one priority one is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you please visit priority one podcast.com to find out how you can help support the show and again a special thanks to everyone who has contributed continues to do so and don't forget to tune in to priority one productions guard frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com it's a pretty good show you should check it out a very special thanks to dr robert hurt for joining us this episode doc it's always a pleasure can't wait for the next time thanks to the entire team behind priority one podcast including the man with the magic mac our audio engineer skiffy Thanks for joining us tonight, too, Skiff. Thank you for having me. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Mr. Chris Watts, and thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Stowe community, and our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
just for NASA's spacer spacer. <laughs> and yeah, and so it begins, right? <laughs> Giggle one. First yeah, and first blooper of the show. Okay. And the visual <sighs> It was an itty bitty teeny weeny little <laughs> skiffy fleety weedy. Oh. <laughs> wow. Just wow. wow. Yeah, that one's that's this week's ringtone. That's this <laughs> that's week's this ringtone. Week's, <laughs> yeah, that's the new ringtone. Uh, let's start the Hello, this is Lennon, your sort of ex audio editor and occasional invader of Priority One. Well yeah, this is a speak pipe widget, eh? It appears to be working. I like pickles. At the end of the day, I think what we would be. Blah, blah, blah.